today on Ag News Daily. I help cattle producers, farmers by answering questions, by providing educational programming, uh, by providing resources to help them deal with the issues that they're having in their operation and to make them more knowledgeable and more successful in managing their farming operations. Here we are, listeners, January 24th. We are uh, hump day, halfway through the week, Delaney. I Yeah, I can't decide if, it, if that feels like we're halfway through the week or not. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of been a gloomy week, so it, it kind of feels like it's been dragging on just a little bit. Uh, probably a good idea just to jump right into the weather. So we are seeing some areas of dense fog here in the Midwest. We do have some winter weather expected in Nebraska and Kansas. Those winter weather advisories are for south central Nebraska and north central Kansas. Freezing rain and drizzle will persist in the other parts of those two states could make very slippery roads. That dense fog, like I talked about, covers a large region. It has from the South Dakota region all the way down to Texas and stretching as far east as Ohio, covering almost the entire Gulf Coast. So a lot of moisture sitting over the U.S. right now. Visibility will fall to less than a quarter of a mile in parts of Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana. The fog won't go away right away. It is expected to remain through most of the morning. So lots lots of moisture, Delaney. It'll be interesting to see if this turns into anything else uh towards the end of the week but as of right now that's what we've got well tanner as we take a look at what's going on this week in salt lake city at the american farm bureau federation's annual convention president or excuse me secretary bill Sachs spoke earlier this week to address the decline in farm and farm land that we've seen over the last couple of decades Farmers and farmland hit their peak back in the 1930s when we had about 6.8 million farms across the nation. Today, there are just 2 million farms in operation. He said that the decades-long decline in the number of U.S. farms can be stanched by adopting climate-smart farming practices, crops, and increasing biofuel production, as well as looking to expand local and regional marketing. He said, we can't afford to lose any more farms and farm land, and we have to figure out a better way and a different way that he told a room full of farmers and ranchers. He also announced at his remarks that a $50 million grant for seven different projects to expand independent domestic fertilizer production as well as $157 million in assistance for 675 different projects to help farmers and rural small businesses install renewable energy systems or improve their energy efficiency was also in the works. So that's his um, focus, he said here, for the rest of his time in office is how do we protect the number of farms and you know, ensure that we don't see another decline, but especially from the 1930s to the 70s. And of course, after the 80s, we saw a big decline in farms. And he said he doesn't think that the country can stand to continue the acceleration of the loss of small to mid-sized farming operations. So that's going to be a focal point for him during the remainder of his time in office. Yeah, I wonder if he if Bill Sachs spoke for a really long time or if reporters just picked up everything he talked about. He's definitely been a focus of that Salt Lake City Farm Bureau meeting. 
we're going to go down under for my next headline. Australian wheat that was recently harvested started off that early season with some good rains thanks to the previous weather systems. But as soon as El Nino and that weather pattern moved in, they turned off dry. USDA is saying that the average crop that Australia had is something that they should feel lucky for having due to their weather conditions. Strong outcome due to a lower than expected rainfall for much of the season put a lot of pressure on where they are sitting. Their production now for the 2023-2024 marketing year has a forecast of 25 and a half million metric tons. That's just below their 10-year average of 26 and a half. The planted area is expected to be above average due to this uh, compared to the 10-year average as the USDA continues to look at what this will do. But continuing to stay on the yield side of things, 314 bushel per acre corn was grown in Minnesota using only seven inches of rain. David Hublin grew the contest winning corn for his state at 314.93 bushels in 2023 and due to his meticulous records did that with only seven inches of rain. A lot of people are amazed by this experience and are attributing that non-irrigated category of the National Corn Growers Association Yield Contest to the traits and technology in the seed. So it'll be interesting, Delaney, to see how our soil moisture builds up like we've been talking about and what these traits do for our yields going forward. It certainly will, Tanner. I'm sure we'll get a lot of that uh, fodder and discussion when we're at Commodity Classic in just about a week away from now. But looking ahead here to the future, next week we'll see the Federal Open Market Committee meet once again January 30th and the 31st to discuss what's ahead for our economic policy. Specifically, we're not expecting to see interest rate cuts come out of that January meeting. However, we are expecting to see and eager to hear what Fed Chair Jerome Powell will share about the future of potential rate cuts. That's going to be kind of the big breath everyone's holding here as we head into that January meeting to see how quickly will we cut interest rates and when will those interest rate cuts start? So that's going to be the big focal point of Wall Street and others next week, Tanner. Yeah, absolutely. Just got a quick hitter here. From Machinery Pete, giving us a PSA the last couple of days on the machinery market, wants to warn you that there are much fewer dealers now than there were in the past. This doesn't provide as many opportunities to pit one dealer against another to negotiate on buying new equipment. The old days of having small dealerships within the area that you could get several bids from is no longer there. Mega dealers have a network inside and will know from location to location what deals are being offered. There's also been an explosive growth in online auctions since the start of the pandemic. Those auction days do provide some opportunities for good buys, but ultimately have become the number one buying source for used equipment at this time. Producers feel much more comfortable about their ability to research equipment prior to purchase, and auction prices have remained firm. Manufacturers now also, according to Machinery Pete, have more pricing power with the slowdown of supplies during the pandemic has allowed a lot of manufacturing entities to create just-in-time deliveries or manage their inventory to not have an overstock. Therefore, 
when prices are set is at order time. And that is more in favor of the manufacturer there. So kind of interesting headlines there, Delaney. Just wanted to touch on an update. We had reported on the Bjerson lawsuit that comes out of Michigan. The federal court has dismissed the lawsuit that was filed by the Michigan farm raided by the IRS in 2021. Just a reminder, this was a basis on crop insurance fraud, and uh, the case has been thrown out due to the negligence from delaying crop insurance premiums, even though there was a suspect of fraud. Both sides had an obligation to provide information and deadlines were not met. So we'll see if that gets picked back up. But as of right now, that large fraud case is no longer in the court system. Well, Tanner, as we switch tracks here just a little bit, China has been in the headlines quite a bit lately as they are making headways and not necessarily in a good way. As we look at the year ahead, China is, I think, silently concerned about the economic recession that they are headed into. We've seen um, their GDP continuing to slow. We've seen both economic and population growth continue to slow. And as of this latest headline here, we're going to see hog production continue to slow. They said that after farmers lost an average of about $10.60 per hog in 2023, their director of market and information technology at the ministry said they're going to be reducing capacity after that price slump. China is going to, quote, guide farmers to reduce hog production capacity as it steps up its regulation of the industry. They said after an aggressive expansion drive led to an oversupply of pigs and heavy losses, they're currently dealing with the aftermath of that situation. Tanner, as we know, African swine fever was an ugly outbreak for the Chinese economy. And following the outbreak, we saw herd production numbers push to new levels. But now they're dealing with the fallout of that large push. That's on the one hand here. On the other, China has announced that they will be growing more rapeseed and oil seeds on more land acres to try and stabilize their soybean acreage this coming year. They said as a way to uh, create less of a reliance on foreign purchases and foreign partners, they're going to be looking at extending a policy to drive and boost oil seed harvest and cut their reliance on overseas suppliers. The country has sought to increase output of oil seeds, such as soybeans and rapeseed, for quite some time. But with this headline there we just reported on, on a shrinking hog herd, that should also help them in their quest to stabilize soybean production as they will have less head, theoretically, to feed out. But production of soybean has also risen completely across the industry for China's domestic market, and the, most of the consumed oilseed in the country has risen the past few years, thankfully. So they are seeing increased demand alongside their increased expansion, but they deal with a lot of different challenges than we deal with here in the United States. So they might be talking out both sides of their mouths here, Tanner, but that is what they're saying is a big focus for 2024. Right. It's tough to determine what to believe. My last headlines come out of Russia, Ukraine. A Russian military transport plane that was carrying 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war crashed in the Russian border region of Belogorod, 
earlier yes earlier this morning officials are stating that this aircraft that was carrying these 65 prisoners of war plus nine russians was shot down by ukraine they are blaming ukraine for the crash russian lawmakers are claiming the plane was shot down by three missiles the types that the west has provided to ukraine ukraine has not yet commented on the incident themselves however turkish lawmakers are finally looking at approving sweden's nato membership bid tuesday afternoon clearing a major obstacle for that country to enter after nearly 20 months of delays but that wraps up my headlines for today Fantastic. Well, I'm out of headlines here this morning as well, Tanner, aside from taking a look at the overnight markets as we close up overnights here, we're seeing still some positive movement in the corn markets up one and a half cents in the March contract at 448 March soybeans up a penny and a quarter at 1240 and three quarters. Chicago wheat in the overnights up four and a half cents at 601 and a quarter. March hard red winter wheat up three and a half cents at 621. And March spring wheat up a penny and a half at $7 and a half cents. So we take a look at livestock and where they closed yesterday. We saw some positive momentum there as well. February live cattle added 87 and a half cents at a buck 74.65. March feeder cattle up $2.37.5 on the board at 233.65. And February lean hogs added $2.37.5 to close at 73.30. Tanner, for today's uh, conversation, we're kicking things over to chat with Patrick Davis of Mizzou to talk livestock outlook specifically for his region of Missouri and beyond. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, folks, today we're chatting with Patrick Davis, the MU Extension Livestock Field Specialist. Patrick, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Excited to talk cattle production with you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So Patrick, before we dig into talking about the year we just had and the year we have ahead of us as far as cattle production and drought goes. Tell us a little bit more about your role as a livestock field specialist with MU Extension and what you focus on in that role. So, um, yeah, my role as a MU Extension livestock field specialist is really just answering questions and helping cattle producers. And, and I say cattle producers, that's primarily who I work with. Um, be successful in their operation to simply put it, uh, my background, my educational background is in um, ruminant nutrition. Um, so uh, as well as uh, um, beef cattle reproduction, uh, nutritional based beef cattle reproduction. And so I, I lean a lot towards the nutrition side of things and uh, work a lot with producers on um, and, and in the last few years and and usually most of the time um, work with them on on their feeding programs for their cattle operation um, also um, and and so uh, that that's primarily where I work um, I also uh, am coordinator of the Southwest Missouri show me select replacement heifer program which um, is a Missouri replacement heifer program and so from the beef cattle reproduction side, I kind of work with producers on that as well. And, um, and, and I do branch out a little bit into, um, 
into the small ruminant side I have in the past, um, given my uh, ruminant nutrition background. So simply put, I, I help cattle producers, farmers, by answering questions, by providing educational programming, uh, by providing resources to help them deal with the issues that they're having in their operation and to make them more knowledgeable and more successful in their in managing their farming operations. Absolutely. We're excited to dig into that and uh, lean on your nutritional background, especially for today's conversation. Patrick, as you look at the year behind us, 2023, we obviously had some mixed areas with cattle production, but we have seen, of course, some of the smallest or the smallest herd number here in the United States due to a lot of the pullback there and drought uh, across cattle country. As you look back at 2023 in the rearview mirror, what are some things that stand out to you? Um, well, and that that's the thing. I, I work in in the south in the north. Well, I would consider the northern part of Southwest Missouri, and in parts of Southwest Missouri, I think you saw some growth. I think you saw some rebuilding. I think you saw some uh, um, some uh, good forage production and very things. And then in where I where my office is at in Stockton, Missouri, and just a little bit north of there and you kept going further north you saw a lot of uh, a lot more drought like we had in 2022 um, just continuing to be extended and so um, you saw large and and large numbers of cattle hitting the market um, small smaller herds now um, you're seeing um, limited resources uh really through um, limited resources that cattle producers are now going to have to deal with as they go through the winter months. And currently we're, we're in pretty cold weather right now too. And um, having to, having to make those decisions as far as, as what I'm going to feed my cattle, do I have enough to feed my cattle? And so we've really been dealing with that in my area. Um, for the last two years and, and uh, I've, I've recently written some articles and we're doing some meetings and some stuff uh, this last fall. And then, and then uh, currently and going forward, uh, we've really been dealing with this for the last, and, and I'm, it's not, we're not the only people that's been dealing with it. I know there's other part, other parts of the country that have been dealing with it probably longer than we have. And some of those areas are actually seeing some rains and seeing some improvement, but, um, uh, a lot of our cattle producers, uh, in specifically in the area where I where I cover, um, have been dealing with this for about two years now, in in some way, shape, or form. And so, we we saw a lot of herd reduction in 2022 as we went through that year, and we saw even more herd reduction in 2023, and um, and then also, um, and then also people just learning how to deal with it and also using alternative feed resources to deal with it that they may have not, may have not used in the past. And, and that adds a whole new educational portion to my job as working with these people and, and myself learning on the job as far as these new feed resources that are hitting the market. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that that presents some interesting 
challenges and opportunities for you as far as education goes. And I want to get to that here in just a second, talking about maybe some of those resources and ways you helped producers look at their operation a little differently in 2023. But as we look at 2024, you mentioned for folks in your area, you've been dealing with about two years worth now of drought conditions and herd pullback. What's your outlook here for 2024? Well, I, I hope it's better to be honest. Um, the, um, I, I hope we, I hope we see some, and I hope we see some moisture. And, uh, I, I was, I was happy to see, um, this fall, um, when people were putting weed in and stuff, uh, I was talking, um, my, fa my family and my parents actually, uh, farm still. And uh, and was talking with them and, and other people around and, and kind of what's going on in, in my area. Now, parts of my area are still very dry, but parts of my area, I, I was happy to see that, you know, when they were putting weed in this fall, that there was ground moisture. Um, we, we are still very um, in areas still very limited on uh, pond water and things like that um, and uh, and things like that. So it's going to take a while. To build those resources back up, but I am I am optimistic uh, as far as what we were what we were talking about um, what we were um, when we were talking. I was I am optimistic looking at the looking at the wheat wheat and the stuff like that. The crops we do have a lot of crops in our area that it there was moisture to bring those up. There was there was ground moisture. And so hopefully we continue to get some, and, and I, I had the same optimism last, uh, last winter and, uh, it did work good for a while, but then it just, it just turned off hot and dry again. So hopefully we, hopefully that doesn't happen again. And, uh, we, we start seeing, seeing some moisture and we start seeing some, and, and in parts of the area where I cover a lot of Southwest Missouri now, Parts of that area, I we we saw better we saw better moisture this summer and and better forage, maybe not to what we would expect in prior to the drought, but still, it was better than than it was year prior. So hopefully that that's a hopefully we we get those moistures, we get moisture and it's more sustained and and we can continue that and and maybe not see such hot dry temperatures in July and August like we have and I know two years ago in June July and August and um, we get to sustain some of this forage and, and start to start to um, to build back our forage base and 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 in time build back our cattle herds so Patrick as you look at some practices that you know you mentioned nutrition wise for producers in 2023, what were some of those changes that you helped propose to be able to deal with some of the extreme drought you're seeing in your area? Well, um, I don't know that it was really changes. It was just kind of kind of helping people kind of understand the situation and what they had um, for the last two years. Uh, we've we've talked a lot about early weaning, especially our spring calves. Um, we've talked a lot about, and, and that's a, that's, a, that's a situation where you need to be set up to do that. You need to have a proper health program. You need to have a proper nutrition program. You need to have, um, 
facilities. Um, um, some of our cattle producers are set up to do that, but sometimes we're not as set up to do that. And so that takes, that takes some investment and some, um, and some planning and some, and some management. And, uh, that was, that was probably, that's probably one of the things that, that we, we pushed a lot, uh, especially because of when our, when, when the droughts and, and when that, when that happened and, and it's, and it's, that's just when it happens, but it, it typically hits, the, it hits the spring calving herd a little harder than it does to fall. Um, different supplementation programs, um, different, different feed ingredients, um, understanding those. And, and we've got a very, uh, we've got a very good state beef cattle nutrition extension specialist with MU extension, uh, to lean on him with his, his experience and his knowledge, um, on some of these feed ingredients and kind of, uh, figuring out and, and, um, one thing that some producers were doing that they hadn't done in the past was silage feeding. And, um, we've had, we've had two years of that where producer producers are incorporating more silage into their rations. And so, which silage is a very good feed resource, um, for cattle, but there, there's some, there's some uh, management, some planning that, that is involved with that and, and making sure because it is a high moisture ingredient, um, making sure that we, we manage that in the proper way and that we feed that in the proper way. So we don't, that we reduce our wastage and our spoilage and those kind of things. Uh, certain byproducts that, um, probably are more from the Southern part of the Southern part of the country are, are making their way up this way um, and incor being incorporated into rations. And so figuring out one, one that comes to mind is peanut skins. Um, and which is a, which is a very good feed ingredient, very, very nutritional. And so something like that. Um, and then maybe, maybe producers incorporating um, this um, the key thing with, um, cause we have a lot of small producers and so they may not be able to handle bulk, but they may be able to work something out where, where they can, they can incorporate that. But also, I mean, we talk a lot about that and in, in reducing price and it's very important that you have to have the equipment and everything to feed in bulk to get those to, to handle everything in bulk. And so um, working with producers and educating them on that and also how, how they might be able to do that if, if they have the investment to invest in those things. And so th those are those are some things that that we've been that myself, other livestock specialists in the area have been been working a lot with uh, and and tailoring programming to do that. Fantastic. Well, Patrick, that is all the time that we have for today. So appreciate your insight here and uh, good luck in the year ahead. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. There you go, listeners. A nice hump day episode for you. We'll be back again tomorrow. So don't go too far. Be sure to check back but for today. What do you say Delaney? Should we let him go? Let's let him go. <laughs>